We've got TikTok and the latest on specialty retail. Motley Fool Money starts now. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, Motley Fool Senior Analyst Bill Mann. Thanks for being here. How you doing, Chris? It's good to see you. I'm doing all right. A little bit of silliness before we start. All right, let's let's start with TikTok. We talked earlier in the year about this influential private company, the ripple effects for businesses like Alphabet and Meta Platforms, and the latest twist is that Montana has become the first state to ban TikTok. The enforcement appears to be a bit fuzzy. It's going to take effect on June 1st. I'm guessing there will be at least one other state, or possibly more, who will follow suit. but. We talked about this earlier today. I'm not sure. I'm not sure where this is going. I'm not sure how effective this is going to be, and I, I, there will be an appeal at some point. But I, w- tell me where this story is going, I've because this is <laughs> this is an important story. Ish. Again, yeah. Well, important it, in the sense that some of the biggest tech companies in America that are publicly traded are paying very close attention to this, and they stand to benefit if, in fact, for some reason or some set of circumstances, TikTok just went away. You get the feeling that the state of Montana is feeling that its profile is dropping in authoritarian countries following the hunt for Red October, it being a byline story there. So, Governor Greg Gianforti has announced that they will be banning TikTok. I mean, this is this is to me this is virtue signaling at its worst. I don't know how it is that they are going to do it. Now, they have said a couple of things. The first of which is that the uh, the Communist Party is using TikTok to spy on Americans, which may be happening. I'm not quite sure how the governor of Montana got to the got got to be the lead sled dog on that particular piece of of information. But really, more importantly, we've had hearings about TikTok uh, and some of the big American social media companies. You know. Uh, Snap, for example, were saying, hey, we provide a service that's similar to TikTok. We don't need them. And by the way, we are banned in China. So why should we allow them to be banned here? Now, I don't think that, I, I don't know, but I get the feeling that Montana isn't going to be the big. The, the big event that we might be making it out to be. Like there's three TikTokers in Montana. Roughly, I totally understand why, as we talked about previously, if a state government wanted to say, "Hey, we're not going to let you know state employees with their state government issued laptops, etc." To have the also, it's like, "Hey, uh, TikTok is for fun. Yeah, we want you working." So, like, even putting aside the safety concerns, yeah. Or the cybersecurity concerns. I, I understand that, but this one, I, employers, yes, as you know, on on state facilities, absolutely. In schools, absolutely. But a blanket ban of something. I mean, think about this again. Pointing to the fact that China bans a bunch of our companies there. 
Yeah, Google. To be clear, Google tried to make a go of it and pulled up stakes and said, "We're leaving." We're leaving. But as the country with a lot of the largest social media and web companies in the world, do we really want to go down the path of being the country that follows China and begins banning companies from from? Operating on our shores because if we do that, if that is something that we are willing to do, why wouldn't India do that to Facebook? Why wouldn't Indonesia do that to Snapchat? Why would in any host of countries, including the European Union, in a way to protect their home companies, why would that not be a tool that they would pull out because the Americans have done it? One of the things we've seen over the last few years, uh, and it's it's not new, uh, states in America compete with one another all the time to bring business, to incentivize businesses to come, hey, come to our state, you'll get tax breaks, all yep. that sort of thing. Do you think there are some states that are that are sort of looking at what Montana did and sort of saying, "Hey, this is an opportunity to just further incentivize businesses to to move here," as opposed to I, like I can see this being a thing where um, other states and their business development uh, organizations are going to be using this. Maybe I mean. Uh, Quite frankly, there's going to be a constitutional challenge of this to start with. But maybe more importantly, uh, keep in mind that this has come from the governor of Montana. So every other governor or person in competent jurisdiction is licking their finger and sticking it in the air to see where the wind blows. Because if if there is a sufficient amount of blowback, like what is it that you think you are doing here? I don't know that too many other politicians are going to wade into that same argument. But to me, yes, it's absolutely possible. And you have seen over and over uh, jurisdictions and and politicians competing with each other to try and get uh, benefits for their states. You know, I just, I don't know what the next step after this is, unless it is uh, a step towards, you know, a stalking horse towards banning TikTok throughout the United States. We're going to move to retail. We'll hit Walmart on the show tomorrow, but uh, specialty retail is getting it done today. Shares of Bath & Body Works up 11%. First quarter profits and revenue were higher than expected. They raised guidance. CEO Gina Boswell highlighted the loyalty program that Bath & Body Works rolled out last August. So This is a loyalty program they've had in place for less than a year. They have 37 million members in it. She said it accounts for roughly two-thirds of sales in the U.S. And This is a loyalty program that other retailers should be studying, because it's everything, apparently, you want. A lot of people in it, and those that are in it are spending more and more frequently. Sure, but at the same time, their overall earnings dropped. So, when you say there are now two-thirds of the revenues are coming from this loyalty program, Either they are supplanting sales that they already had, which is fine. I mean, that's that that is an okay thing for a loyalty program to do because you could either self-supplant or you can see them go other places, right? So I don't I don't really have a problem with that. I view this more as Bath and Body Works. Oh my gosh, about the eighth straight time I've almost said Bed Bath and Beyond, yeah, just because yeah. that's been a big news story. Maybe we should just call it uh, Bed Bath and Beyond Body Works. <laughs> 
It's not fair to Bath and Body Works. I don't think the lawyers would like. That. No, no, they were they are one hundred percent less in bankruptcy than the other guys. So. Let's wind that back. So, in the case of Bath and Body Works, I think that the really the headline because their stock is up double digits at the time of the recording. It's almost like they said, "Okay, look, things are terrible. Our numbers are down, top line, bottom line." But remember, we told you before that things were really terrible. They're not really terrible. They're just terrible. So, there's that. Also, AI. Did, did they hit? <laughs> Why wouldn't you at this point? <laughs> Look, the, the, we've talked uh, historically on this show and on Market Foolery about the uh, the candles. <laughs> That's right. The, yeah, the thirty dollars three wick candles with the creative names. And if you go to the Bath and Body Works website, they're right there, front and oh center. Oh my gosh, some of those names are incredible. I mean, yeah. I could make some up. I mean, some are like Booger Pie, like whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't looked that deeply for that, but they, yeah, there's a lot of beach-themed ones, uh, firecracker pop. Um, they also have a candle. Um, I swear this is true. The name of the candle is "Love Always Wins," <laughs> and I think that was I think that was probably greenlit by someone who's never actually had an experience with love. It smells of loneliness, possibly. <laughs> Sounds like you're not a fan. This is. It's this not is, that I'm not a. No, no, no. Fan. But in all seriousness, this is, and we've seen this with other companies this earnings season. This is like, okay, this is better than expected, but the expectations were low. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for thank you for not collapsing. They, I mean, it really was. It was. It was not a great quarter. It was a fine quarter, and sometimes a fine quarter is is good enough. I did love that uh, they called out that uh, one of the things that has helped were men's grooming products, like a, a renewed interest. Like you've met men, right? Like I find it hard to believe that we suddenly have gotten super excited about new scents, including what was it? Uh, beach loneliness. What was the the scent you were? Love always wins. Fire Live, laugh, love. Pop. Yeah, <laughs> I give them credit for the different names. Um, no, it, it it will be it will be sort of interesting to see where it goes because there you know look there's a market there, and again the 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 to me the loyalty program thing and this is something we've talked about on our. Um, sort of the the podcast programming team as we you know we talk about different segment ideas and and something we've talked about recently is sort of things looking into loyalty programs because anytime a business rolls out a loyalty program the number like the the prime directive right out of the gate is getting people in it yeah so whatever other weakness is going on at Bath and Body Works. They got 37 million people in this loyalty program, and now they just need to figure out, like, okay, we got these people here. It's a captive audience. We've got this data on them. How do we get them spending even more? I, 37 million, and and we glossed over that number a little bit. That is massive. Yeah. I mean, do you suppose that you have to? Roll up your window when you drive past a Bath and Body Works for want of getting hit by a membership. I mean, thirty-seven million. I'm making a little bit of fun. It is impressive. Full absolutely stop. Full stop. So, I you know they do actually uh, have some opportunity as some of their larger competitors who are more under distress are now pulling back. They're in they're in bankruptcy. So I think that there really is an opportunity for Bath and Body Works. All right. Before I let you go, uh, this is not my last show. This is not your last show. 
This is, however, our last show together, and selfishly, our friendship extends well beyond the walls of this studio. But um, uh, before I cede the floor, I just wanted to say thank you for more than a decade of coming in this room, sharing your expertise, analysis, commentary, and attempts at humor. <laughs> My base attempts. Well, I thank you, Chris, and and uh, you know it, it has hit me like a ton of bricks the fact that that you are leaving and it now really starts to feel real. Uh, you know, every day I've come in, I was like, yeah, he's going to change his mind. It's going <laughs> to, you know, it, but. I go back to a story, and this may this this is a story that is within the lore of of the Motley Fool. It was the day that I went on CNBC and I froze, and you were the person who was my media guide at that point. I froze so badly because I forgot the word reserves. That three days later, Liz Clayman left the network. No, <laughs> I'm not saying that the two things are related, but I think she was done dealing with jokers like me. And so, your job at the time was just with us getting used to being on, you know, on TV, was to coach us up. And you were relentlessly positive, but there was very little to be positive about after that time. And you said something that I will never forget, and it was this: I could have done better. <laughs> Could have been better. And to me, I mean, that was just the essence of you, right? Like, obviously, it didn't go well. I am not here to stick the boot in right now and tell you how badly that went in front of millions of people, but I appreciated it so much. And I've appreciated your friendship and working with you. You are a dear, dear friend of mine. And I can't wait to see what your next adventure is like. Bill, man, always great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. As retail continues to evolve, one category is looking good. Motley Fool contributor Rachel Warren caught up with Angie Solanke, Director of Retail Services at Collier's, to talk about how post-pandemic shopping habits are shaking out. I know that Collier's recently released its 2023 Spring Retail Report, and the report highlighted retail spend across a range of categories, including you know storefronts, restaurants, grocery stores. You know, based on the findings of this report, what are the categories that seem to be really winning in the current environment and posed for greater resilience? You know, over the long term. Definitely. You know, we're calling um, 2023 the year of the store again. Uh, as we look at, uh, you know, this year, the number of closings is far, far less than the net new openings. And when we look at the year of the store, the categories within that that are doing very well, of course, is going to be groceries. So if we stop again and we look at, you know, the uh, impacts due to inflation, which is also softening, as we know, um, there's still very you know important critical attributes we need to keep in mind. Number one, we have these three categories of income earners. Of course, you have you know the um, high income, middle income, and low income. And of course, each group is going to shop and behave slightly differently. So if we stop and focus, all three groups, nonetheless, really do still require to eat. Whether they eat at home, grocery spend will continue to increase. Eat out, maybe less so. Again, grocery 
uh, sales continue to increase. So where we see a category winner is definitely in that um, in that grocery segment. Uh, and that's going to be re- what we're really tracking at this point is we know that's a a, um, a category that will continue to see growth um, as they have been. Uh, but I'm now curious, or we are all curious at Collier's, as it relates to how is that going to impact the consumer behavior? Will they shop both value? So will the high-income earner shop value as well as call it the more premium grocery stores? Or will we start to see different shifts? We do know at this time, the average person typically will shop to grocers. So knowing that, how will that start to shape, um, you know, the type of stores or the different brands of, of grocers that are out there? That to me is going to be really interesting. I think you may have read um, in the report, you know, Dollar General has seen a 30% increase um, in their in their sales. And, and it makes sense when we start to see, you know, kind of this, this um, shift where people are much more conscientious about how much they're spending, how much they need to save, et cetera. Yeah. And kind of, you know, conversely to that, are there any particular categories that you feel are showing, you know, more vulnerabilities in the current environment? You know, it makes sense that there would be a certain level of that given the inflation we're still seeing, even though that is kind of slowly tamping down. But but do you see these as being kind of durable headwinds or, or do you think these are categories that can also recover? Definitely. So the categories that, you know, definitely are seeing a softening, of course, is going to be in your um uh, furniture, large home goods. Yeah, uh, there was that you know what we were calling revenge spend occurring a couple <laughs> years back as it relates to fixturizing, remodeling, refurbishing, etc. Both the you know inside of your home, the exterior of your home. Um, you know people spend quite a bit. Uh, electronics is another. Is that going to go away? No. Look, technology plays a significant significant role, right, in electronics. And so when you think about electronics and you think about you know, the next wave, the next generation, um, there is that FOMO that people still have where I want the best and newest and latest technology. And that translates into electronics, both small and large. Well, they may maybe not say, okay, I need a TV in every room. Maybe I just need that one TV and we'll compromise and keep the other, you know, two or three, which I'm not a big TV person. So excuse me for that. Um, but, um, you know, maybe we're not going to buy three new TVs. We might just buy one. So I think you're just going to see a shift where there will be kind of a compromise in how um, people are spending. But those are segments or categories that we'll start to see kind of a uh, consumer's rethinking. Um, Is that going to completely uh, change? No. You know, as we start to see, you know, the purchases of homes coming back at a stronger level, there's still this demand for for homes. And because we're, we, as we know, um, in the U.S., we have, you know, a low supply in, in, in that sector in housing, um, there's going to still be a need for that, whether it's, you know, as, as I said, um, it's just it just might be slightly tampered at this point. 
You know, another industry as well that uh, I think bears a, a bit of discussion is the, the beauty space. Uh, the beauty industry uh, was mentioned in this report as well, but it has proven over the years to be pretty resilient, uh, including in periods of economic uh, difficulty. There's, of course, the famous uh, you know lipstick index, a sort of a, a bellwether of consumer confidence. But um, the report noted that consumers are seeing beauty buys as affordable luxury. You've got brands like, you know, Elf Beauty, Glossier that are benefiting. Of course, that brings to mind some of those bigger names like the Ulta Beauties of the world. That idea of the beauty industry being really resilient, does that thesis seem to be bearing out in the current market environment? It is. Um, you know, even though we were, you know, on virtual platforms, having meetings and conversations, you know, people still want a little something, something to add. And, and, um, you know, whether it's hair products, skin products, uh, or just, you know, makeup products, I think there's, there's still continued growth. You know, the latest we're seeing, um, you know, Sephora, Again, soft 32% increase in terms of foot traffic. Ulta has seen the same. Um, it's not a big spend because you can buy something that makes you feel good or or you're looking at, you know, I want a product that's, that's you know, um, a clean product that is uh, cruelty-free, et cetera, because there's just, you know, a lot of mind awareness around that. And I was actually chatting with someone who shared with me she had gone to, a, you know, a conference specifically around the, the entire beauty um, uh, arena. And what she came back to me and she said, you know, Angie, it's fascinating. It's, it's really about today. Um, beauty is focused on uh, the the clean environment and and mm. the different ingredients that it goes into the product has become much more important to the consumer. Uh, and so I don't see this going away because you have different segments of the population. And don't forget, we have you know all the TikTok videos that are out there and influencing people as well so um you know beauty will continue to be resilient in that space uh because it's been influenced by by money As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.